What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Blowing Up with me, your host, Dwight Simmons. Hope you had a good week, a great, cold, blizzardy ass week. I am hunkered down in my basement. It's great. I love it. Had a snow day, even though I work from home. Hope you got to get a day off. You know, we all deserve that every once in a while, especially if there's 18 inches of snow on the ground. Today on the podcast, we have the hilarious Jasmine Ellis. Jasmine lives in LA from the way of Arlington, Texas. Uh, She tours all over the country. She had a comedy album called Trash Baby that went number one on iTunes and was featured on NPR's list of best comedy albums of the year. She's absolutely blowing up. She has an Amazon Prime comedy special called Nobody's Queen that you should absolutely uh, check out. It's great. You're going to love Jasmine. I had an absolutely wonderful time, enlightening, speaking with her. Uh, You're going to love her. So check it out. I also have some live dates coming up. My full calendar is updated at DwightSimmons.com, going to Noblesville, Indiana, you know, the hub of comedy. Got Little Rock, Arkansas, going to Nashville, back to Indianapolis, Chicago, Elkhart, Detroit. I'm all over, baby. Come see a live show and enjoy this chat with the hilarious Jasmine Ellis. freaked out about um because I have like a little stalker situation so I have to have my like backdrop set the way I want it that oh way no one can ever tell what my house looks like how is a rules. how is a stalker situation ever small I like the way you said it. yeah it's just a little stalker that uh he knows where I live and if he sees my zoom background it's definitely going to be a problem but. well he uh, I mean he found like phone numbers for my family and stuff okay so to answer that question with you edit like without inf- adding too much information there's a guy in Louisiana who I believe is in a jail because I was able to track him because you, you can't you're not going to take me down without a fight and he's obsessed with me and every like six months or so he creates a new he just gets the problem is he just keeps getting new accounts I block him and he makes a new one and he makes a new one but it's been almost two years of this and it's just like you know, what, at one point he had like a bunch of pictures of clowns up and he called himself Bozo the Clown, but he was like, I'm in love with Jasmine Ellis. And it was like really kind of weird and scary. And like, this, at is first, a, I was, this is just like a shadow account. You don't know yeah, this person. I don't know this person. I've never met this person. He will comment on my YouTube videos. And it's funny because he will start, he'll say like, um, you're beautiful. You're sexy. I want to marry you. Blah blah. I just ignore that. And then yeah. every like third or fourth one would be like, she's fat and gross, and she'd stop doing comedy. And it's the same account. <laughs> and it's like I, I just, I mean, there's so many things. Like I'm, I'm both fat and beautiful. Hard for you to oh work brand around. You know what I mean? And um, and no, go away, go away, just go away. Um, but there one is, time, he- there's a person. I'm, I'm catching up. There's a person in a Louisiana jail with just burner accounts that's how he spends his time yes i'm going to the yard i have responded back to him which is probably not what they tell you to do but i'm just like i'm not afraid of you i think you're annoying i think you're pathetic i'm not interested in you and um he'll he has this like weird you know what's funny is he's white but he has this weird fascination with being i could have told you that oh you know yours is great the picture in my head was just like a frill 
white guy. Yes, he's a skinny white guy because I was yeah. able to find pictures of him. Um, sometimes he's even like message when other women who I'm friends with tell him to stop, he'll jump in their DMs and be like, I love you. I'm trying to be with you. And it's just like, <laughs> like, nigga, can you be faithful? Can you faithfully stalk me? Like... <laughs> Uh, one time one time he sent me these this is how I figured out he was in Louisiana one time he sent all these messages that were about this news anchor he thought was beautiful and it was like local news to that area of Louisiana not national news and I mean right. she was a stunning girl but like also he so has a type like she was like light-skinned like it yeah. was just like it was like you're through, <laughs> but he hates my husband for some reason the stalker and he like he's like I just can't believe you'd be with a lame white dude like that oh my god <laughs> oh he immediately like, goes he immediately goes to calling the, your husband who is white obviously yes a lame white dude and he's like one time he said he goes i just these emails are insane and there is a part of me that thinks they're kind of funny but i want them to stop for sure yeah. one time he was like he looks like one of those lame white dudes who you know just you know all only cares about white people and he's not really down for sisters and i'm like <laughs> if you were down for black women you would leave me the fuck alone a black oh woman is actively telling you to stop and you're like no 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 like I am fascinated by this. I'm sorry. This has to be horrifying, but Jesus Christ, this is incredible. So I just, you know, I, I make sure to like, I never post exactly where I am. Like even right. sometimes when I do like reviews on hotels and stuff, I'll, I'll do it like weeks after I've been there. Um, I'm just, I'm not, you know, just, there's no live element to anything I do and I'm okay with that. Right. That is, a, <laughs> oh my God, because you, you're obviously like, you're touring, you're a touring comedian. Yeah, And this is an extra layer of being a woman on the road that I don't think people even think about. No, right? and it's it's really frustrating. I actually recently had a situation where like I, um, usually I book my own rooms uh, for a number of reasons, for safety, for this, that, and the other. I don't know. There was a, a, a mutual friend of ours who one time told this horror story of letting a booker book her room. And then he booked them a room together, like a a king's uh, like one bed and just thought no. they were going to stay together and she was oh like nope i'm getting the fuck out but i did recently have a situation where it was just like i don't stay in motels i refuse to stay in motels um and the reason is i don't like a door that opens to the outside as a woman when you're alone you have to protect yourself from everyone in the hotel right. in a motel you have to protect yourself from everyone in the hotel and everyone on the street right i just it's just, it's a safety thing for me. So I don't do motels because those locks, I mean, I've seen too many movies where police can just kick that bitch in. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like just, you know what I mean? I don't want to get like shot in the middle of a raid because I'm in the wrong room. It like adds yeah. a whole other level of just like, God, it's just, it's so funny too, because I was literally just going through this with my husband where it's like when someone's offering me something and they're like, yeah, you can stay it, blah, blah, blah. And I have all these follow up, rape-based questions right. as a woman that I have to ask and I hate because it creates this awkwardness but I just men just don't think with their guard up this way so right. like I was getting offered a comedy condo for something with a show and I was I had to be like do the doors lock from the inside do the individual bedrooms have locks it's a question I have to ask do you yeah, you know and, and, I don't ask that you don't like, yeah you because where's you, the closest uh brewery Yes, you yeah, walk through life kind of with the, the understanding that like you could fight anyone who has a problem with you. And right. it's, I don't know, being a woman is hard. Uh, it's, it's hard point blank period. Not and... what I heard. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my God. That's, uh, yeah. It's, I was what a way to start about this. That. No, I was going to, I was, I, it's something that needs to, you know, be said more 
because, you know, even I'm blind to it. I help book and run a festival and I care about the safety and mm-hmm. the uh, peace of mind that performers should have. Right? I think one, one of the best things you could do as a festival runner is help connect other women with other women. Because we, if we don't know who else, I mean, we're going to try our best to find out who's on the fest and stuff. Yeah. But if, you're, if you create like groups and stuff, just so the people who are on the festival can find each other, right. uh, there's safety in numbers. And I've had so much fun on festivals, you know, just like wandering the street. It just, it creates a level of safety that you get. I mean, obviously you don't know these girls like that. They might be on some other stuff but for the most part just having another like companion to go through the city and stuff can be nice and not all not all male comics are bad people but like we still have to live with yes, our head they on the are. Because, yeah because when when They're stuff terrible. happens you think male comics are you <laughs> yeah, said we're, it we're the we're awful <laughs> no you're not there's plenty of sweet ones but you know um if something does if bad something bad happens and the first thing people say is well, why were you around this person and it's like yeah. you just you have to have I wish I could have the freedom that male comics do when it comes to just the base level of security, you know? Right. I know you're in your own home, I believe, with a <laughs> backdrop where we can't see any. You're not inviting anybody into your home. Sorry, Zoom watchers. <laughs> but that's the thing is like when I asked as an audio video, because I needed to know if I wanted to put my background up or not. And that's, right. you know, I'm sure people think when I respond with that question, they're like, oh, she's being a diva. She's trying to know if she needs to put makeup on and, yeah. you know. You know, I mean, I tweeted about it, but um. <laughs> Jasmine Ellis is a late diva. Is a late diva. No, I love you so much. Are you in LA right now? I am. I am in LA. Okay. Is that you didn't start comedy there, did you? No. Okay. No, no, no. I started comedy in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, there's we kind of call the whole scene the Dallas scene, but there's there's the Hyenas Comedy Club in Dallas is one of the first stages I did, and then there was Dallas Comedy House, which is uh, no longer there. It's now Dallas Comedy Club. It's run by different people, and um, then I would do Fort Worth Hyenas. I would do the Arlington Improv. I'm actually from Arlington, okay. so I do the Arlington Improv. I do Backdoor Comedy, which was really North Dallas. It was just. It was such a great place to start because each room had a completely different crowd. So I would write a bit on, I'd, you know, I'd sit down, make myself write on Sunday nights, and then yeah. I'd get to run the same five minutes in front of, you know, old conservative, it has to be clean at the backdoor room. Yeah. And then a comp- like a 90% Black crowd at the Arlington Improv right. to uh, a kind of Republican um, type of cowboy crowd at the Fort Worth Hyenas to a kind of hipster crowd at Dallas Comedy House. And I get to like really feel my stuff out. So I think I was able to create a wealth of material in kind of a short amount of time. And I'm glad I started where I started. Definitely. That's uh, that's a testament. It's, I think one of the biggest compliments you can give a comedian is that they can work in any sort of room in front of any audience. It's a great way to test your material. If you can make 90 year old white people laugh and then <laughs> go to the hood and make uh the fish shack lab i think you know, I feel uh, like black comics don't get enough credit for that sometimes though because yeah. like a lot of a lot of white comics will kind of dig in their heels and just do the same rooms over and over and over and act like that means that they're true to their voice when right. in actuality it's like you're scared brayden yeah that's you're, <laughs> you're afraid of you're afraid of black women you're afraid of back black on people, youtube <laughs> No, I feel, especially, I feel, you know, Indiana is where I started and where I am. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, most of the rooms are predominantly white and the rooms that are black are black rooms. 
you don't see a lot of integration. So I think yes. there's real strength in that. So. It's interesting too, because, um, you know, to be a successful black comedian, you have to cross over air quotes. And I mean, you could be a financially secure, successful white comedian and never do a black room in your life. Right. And that's just, it's, I started thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about the Atlanta comedy scene and how uh, they don't have, I mean, they, from what I've experienced, there is like a lot of integration people go back and forth, but there are like, like purely black rooms. Yeah. And, you know, if you had no context and refused to understand the history of, of, of racism and separatism in this country, then you think, oh, well, that's black people trying to be segregationist. And it's like, in actuality, when this room opened 30 years ago, like these right. white rooms wouldn't book black comics. It was out of necessity, right? Yes, and we yep. so we build, and then it's like you know we do have like different linguistic and oral traditions and styles, and there are like there's so much talent just like seething right. these comics who do the purely black rooms, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with going that route. There's like I, I hate like people assume like because I can do both that I like don't like urban rooms. Yeah, and I hate and I fucking hate the expression urban. Yeah, I hate the expression urban. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's, I hate the expression urban so damn much. Let me. Just, I'm just gonna say black capital B L A C K black. There you I, go. Yeah, because urban yes. is like what the FBI writes in the yes. file. We're keeping an eye on this urban. I I think comedy one show. of in my current quest for equality, I say the word white more. Yeah. <laughs> because I think white people get to believe get to feel like they're the default. So like yeah. they're people, and then we're black people. And so I'm just very into reminding white people that you're white people. I'm like, oh man, it's, that, you know, uh, I, it's the I, Mitch McConnell effect. Yes. And yes. I, you know, I love white American vernacular English. You know, I say a G Willikers every <laughs> Dag Nabbit. Yes. Oh, I love golly. a Dag Nabbit. Right. I think I, my jam is Keister. Oh. Keister, Ooh. like get your Keister in. Yeah. Keister. <laughs> you say it kind of sexy. Like you're talking to your husband. <laughs> oh, no. Get your keister in the Ew, I don't like it. No, keister. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You play with it in your comedy, too, which I love. Uh, I'm kind of the same way growing up in like an all-white high school. I think mm. that there's a lot of meat on the bone there. And I really uh, respect that because when I was growing up, it was, you know, why has everything got to be about race or shit like that that's yeah highly it's highly offensive and infuriating and it's dismissive so i like mm -hmm. the way that you're able to integrate this into your uh stand-up is that intentional i yes and no i'm just very honest about my own life and i do have an interesting i think my perspective on like being a black woman who's married into a white family there's some story there um yeah. growing up in a like like arlington felt very like, oh, it's integrated, but it's very segregated. Like, oh man, this school has like an almost equal population of black, Hispanic, white, and Asian kids, but it's referred to as the ghetto school. Yeah. And you, these kids <laughs> yeah. literally hang out on different parts of the hallway and never speak to each other. And like, there's this kind of this unspokenness to things. And I, one thing is I just, I, I get told, even when I'm not talking about like white people at all, even when I'm just talking about black culture, why are you right. bringing up race? Right. And I'm realizing that like a lot of white people who come to see shows with me, they see me and they're like, you're an accessible white girl. 
you're a white girl who makes me thin as a white, white girl. Accessible black girl. <laughs> like, damn, she does like saying white. <laughs> no, you're an accessible black girl. You make yeah. me feel safe. You make me feel comfortable. You remind me of my best friend from high school. What they mean is you remind me of a black girl who was afraid to assert herself. Yeah. Who was in a position where she was surrounded and it was easier to not shake things and not change the status quo by pointing out, you know, yeah. I, I just, I, a lot of people want, they think the way to getting rid of racism is denying black people their culture. Yeah. They're like, no, it's... no, no, race doesn't. Cause it, it, these things, if I was Nigerian and I talked about my family growing up in Nigeria and my Nigerian family, people would accept that as a heritage, as an experience because Nigeria is a country with a place. Right. But when I talk about being black, they're like, that's not a thing. That's just yeah. like, you're just trying to make, and I'm like, no, there's a black American experience. There's black American vernaculars, black American rhythms and sounds and things that are us. And I'm not saying you can't participate and appreciate, but understand that it's black American. Right. You know what I mean? So right. I, I'm just very much myself in my writing and I am trying to expand a little bit more out there and stop making so many I statements. But I also, you know, the, I love, I love the process as a writer. I love playing with it and continuing to grow and just seeing what's next, you know? Yeah. I love the, the tinkering aspect of it. It's, it's that, so you did your album, mm -hmm. right? Trash Baby. And then you did a special for Dry Bar, mm -hmm. right? You just talk about loving the process. Did those preparing for the album, did that process differ for how you prepared for uh, the special? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the album was 100% my idea. Mm -hmm. I decided I've been doing comedy. It'll be seven years in, like, it's the beginning of the year. I was, like, sitting because I'm a, I'm a vision board girl. Okay. Uh, by, the, by the way, I haven't taken down my 2021 vision board and thanked it yet. So the process <laughs> isn't done. Um, but I'm, I'm really into, like, visions and ideas and, like, knowing what I want out of, like, which is why people are like, why the hell did you move to L.A. in the middle of 2020? Because I'm, like, in January 2020, I said I was going to. Yeah. And so right. I, I went, you know, I have an idea in my head. I'm going to do it. So I was like, I've been doing comedy this amount of time. And also I was seeing people who were way newer at stand up putting out albums and specials and no shade to them. But I was like, let me assess my thoughts and see how I feel about it. And right. I realized that getting married gave me an interesting writing point because there's a lot of jokes and stories I had specifically about being engaged and getting mm -hmm. married and things of that nature that I wanted to put out there. And then there was also things I wrote about being single that I wanted to put out there. So Trash Baby is, it's not all about being single, but it is a lot about being single. It's a lot of jokes I wrote from a single mind uh, perspective. It also talks about mental health. It talks about my struggles with bulimia. There is, um, there's some really interesting things in there that I was ready to get out into the world. And right. also I turned 30 in 2019. So it was like, you know, the end of my twenties really. And so some of the promo photos we did, like I was like stuck in a slide because my ass is too big <laughs> to get out of it. And like, that's like, you know what I mean? Like you have, it was that right. thing about like moving past childhood and right. um, the trash baby joke, the reference to that is like my older sister tried to convince me my real family left me in the garbage. Yeah. And <laughs> That's a great and, sibling, uh, it's a great sibling move. <laughs> yes, and being a middle child is such a, a big part of like my identity and kind of what made me so scrappy growing up. And like, now it's like, oh, I, I'm not a middle child anymore cause I'm done being raised. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a, I feel like Trash Baby is all about like realizing I'm not a kid anymore. 
And nobody's queen is like deciding what kind of adult I want to be. Now, the thing is, I had no intention of making like, okay, I recorded Trash Baby in August 2019, released it in December 2019, because the hustle, the quick turnaround. Again, that was all me. I did produce it with Sure Thing Records, which helped with distribution. But I I decided I want to put the album out. I reached out to several clubs, bars, whatever. From January to August, I was like, I will do anybody's show. Yeah. Just give me more than 15 minutes. And so I was like building that hour on the road and I hadn't right. started doing colleges yet. And the fun thing is, is the decision to do that did lead to me signing with Summit Comedy and now I do colleges. Uh, I would say for a living, but I'm a crying got a bitch tied up. So yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm barely living right now. Um, like, it's rough. So it's, it's rough. It's rough because these schools want to have like the right COVID initiative. But literally I had a college cancel on me. Like, yeah. you know, I had already booked a flight, everything. They canceled on me. And oh then they still goodness. had a basketball the same they still had a basketball game the same yeah that's that's where the money is yeah and i'm you like no it's all a it, racket it wasn't going to be like more than 100 kids in a room set for 300 like it, <laughs> but they let's get know. uh let's get 2500 kids screaming but like shouting. Who, yeah i understand because these kids who are you know this basketball scholarship is their their livelihood and i'm just one comedian you know so right. I, I, I but yes um so you I signed with summit mm-hmm and then through awesome Summit, crash, she, baby. oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, because he saw it and was like, "Oh wow, this is like really good." And it's so yeah. funny because Chuck Johnson, we talked about this before, and he does not remember rejecting me in like 2016. Yeah. So when I sent him my videos back then, like he no response, <laughs> not yeah. at all. Like he was just like, you know, it was like it was in the trash. But he saw this like fully produced funny set and I'm I'm someone who is a great storyteller and I do better at longer sets so it was kind of a risk sending him a whole hour of my stand-up like and he watched it and was like this is fucking good that's great um but also I come like highly recommended because I had opened for some other headliners that he was already working with so you know that worked out and then he had the connection through dry bar and um so he asked me to do it and I was like, okay, let's figure it out. And at that point, I'd already been doing a lot of stuff about the wedding process and my honeymoon was fairly recent. So I had some jokes about that. And I was like, I'm not going to tell jokes about my honeymoon forever. I mean, you can, I do think that no comedian should feel pressure. Don't feel like you have to put something out there because other right. people are, right. but there is something to be said about the evergreenness of stuff. You know, although God, I remember people rushing to write these material about COVID and put it out there they by like it. yeah by like April May 2020 and this bitch two years old and right. she keeps growing you know <laughs> like, I, she got several personalities she got multiple personality disorder at this point pledging sororities you know what I mean like she's right. busy yeah so I just, <laughs> people were saying the same thing about you know all the Trump jokes back in 2014 yes. 2015 let's get these like, out because this is not going to last yes and we it's are. like now you can, but the thing I, the thing I try to do is if I take something current, I relate it to something that speaks to the human condition. Like I haven't recorded this joke yet, so nobody steal it. Um, (laughs) But um, I do have this bit and I wrote this years ago about getting sick and then being mad my boyfriend wasn't sick too. And it's really about jealousy and being silly. Yeah. And, um, and then like, it, it, I, it's easy to relate that to, uh, to COVID. To COVID. And then right. when I got COVID in December and my husband was negative and I was positive, Ooh. then the punchline of 
are you getting antibodies from another bitch? Just tell me. It's like, <laughs> too real. It, yeah, it, it was literally the same joke, but it was even more funny and relevant. So it's like, yeah. if you take something really time sensitive and you relate it to something that's about the human condition, then yeah. it can always keep going. If you think about, oh, Trump, Trump's dumb, blah, blah, blah. But if you think about why people love dumb people, yeah. then you've got something that's deeper and can yeah. last forever. And I mean, we ha- we can't pretend that it was so funny because people would be like, Trump jokes are going to be old. And it's like, yeah, but he was an American president. Like, I can tell a joke about Henry Ford. Right. Like, I can, like I'm going at I'm going at Lincoln's neck still. I'm coming at Lincoln's like, neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh I love that. Once you get past the surface, you're able to dig deep. And I think that's how people tell the best stories. And you are certainly a wonderful storyteller. Uh, You you talked about getting rejected in 2016. This is something that comics have to get over if they're going to have any sustainability in this as a career. How do you, do you like turn that into like, you know, a kid on the school bus that got bullied. So now I have to, I swear to God, I'm coming back. with my big brother in 2020 like how do you how do you deal with rejection the the irony is like um I don't you don't notice the rejections if you just keep pushing so it's like I I read some statistics I started looking up statistics on rejections and I read that like actors for every 60 auditions they go on they get one call back so now I'm like I can't be mad I didn't get called back for this this was number one of 59 like I got 59 more things to get told no to yeah. um I also remember that there's a million people on the planet and there's a million reasons why someone else gets chosen yeah and there can be and also what you gotta remember with a lot of stuff is a lot of stuff is just smoking mirrors like with job interviews you know this is something mm-hmm. that non-comedians can relate to I mean yeah you can interview for a job and they already know they're gonna promote Pam from accounting it's just a formality that they have to interview you. Right. So people like we're always moving and shaping and everyone has their motivations. And I just, I don't take it personal because I just keep moving. I just oh. keep it all moving. But it is, it is funny when rejection for, for me, I like remembering when the rejections come full circle, when the festival that told me no reaches out to me later to headline it. You know, that, <laughs> that feels, it feels so nice. And not never, like a... <laughs> I was like, you, you're real zen about it, but then you added the part that we all love, which is, I told you dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> but sometimes it's just, you know, and like, here's the thing is every, there's no such thing as an actual overnight success. Sometimes people just can't see you for what you are until other people do. Oh, I mean, like, <laughs> this is funny. Nobody's queen comes out on dry bar, right? Yeah, it's released February thirteenth, uh, two thousand twenty-one. Uh, by the way, I remember that date because I was stuck in a hotel during a blizzard in Texas, and oh I God. decided to read comments telling me I should kill myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, multiple, is it all still the? It's every third one from the, your stalker. <laughs> um, you know what? It's it it, it it hit this like nice wave around May. We're just it hit the right audience. And now all the comments are super nice. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad this is in the world. But at the time I was like, oh no, this is the worst thing I've ever done. And I couldn't even That's... watch it. The comments were so, I read the comments before I watched it. So it like, my, it, it like kind of dulled my perspective on what it was. And right. um, a Comedy Dynamics bought out Drybar. And so they've released the specials now on all platforms. Um, including Amazon Prime. Right. So uh, not too long ago, I watched it on my TV and I was like, 
Ooh, I look good on television. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> like this is this is made for. That's why y'all mad. You watching this shit on your phone while you're trying to pay attention to your kids. This is a cinematic experience. You know what I mean? I, so, like, <laughs> this is timely because it's blizzarding here in Indianapolis. <laughs> I might I might pull a Jasmine Nellis. I might go to my YouTube comments. No, don't manifest do it. something. Don't do it. No, they they go. Oh, I mean, maybe YouTube. that wasn't how I manifested because if anything, I just like really cried and I was yeah. like, man, if I die right now, that's the last stand-up of me. And yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a very anxious person. I also yeah. have, I, I I tend to circle when I'm panicked. So it yeah. wasn't the the best headspace. What the hell did you ask me? They got me here. Oh, we're what just talking that? about your your album, you cancel oh. shows and. Uh, you brought up a blizzard and then we got off to the races, which yes, that's what so, this podcast is anyway. Yes. Uh, the dry bar special. I wouldn't have done them that close together though. Like I anticipate, but the good news is like, because of dry bars release schedule, nobody's queen didn't come out until a year later. So it's mm-hmm. like, I released something. And then December, 2019 is basically 2020. So it looks like I released something a year, you know, it looks, it looks like when in actuality, I did two specials in 2019. Right. And they release one at a time, which is kind of nice too, because the logistics of trying to do a special right now, like, you know, I watched Kevin Hart's one where they're like, it's outside, people are wearing masks, you know, yeah. like stuff is like, it's funny, but stuff is not hitting the way it should, you know? And it's, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I want people to feel safe. And then that's the thing. I mean, those that's, unmasked laughs just hit different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sincere. Like when you, like when you're promoting things on social media, do you have like a guilt right now? Like if people come to my show, they might not make it to like a next month. They're not going to well, make it to the next show. Do you have the COVID guilt I, for promotion? Um, yes and no. What I'm doing is I'm working with venues that I think are practicing better protocols than most. Yeah. So I feel good about that sometimes. But it is it is hard with the clubs in certain cities. Like, I mean, for example, I did Fort Worth Amphibian Theater. Love them. Great. They encourage masks. But like Greg Abbott is a fucking asshole. And yeah. he makes it it's illegal to require masks places. You can't. You can't it's, do that. So you can only encourage. But luckily for me, everyone wore them. So I felt good about that. And it's a theater space. So only groups who were together had to be together. Uh, comedy club culture is really hard because it's all about packing people in close together. Right. And it used to be, it felt like the, you know, the front row would be empty because people just don't want to get made fun of by the comic. And now it's like, they don't want to get spit on by the comic. And exactly. I get that. <laughs> yeah. My favorite um, word to describe shows used to be like intimate. Oh, it's a good yeah. intimate show. And now it feels like a, like a curse word. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a threat. Like yeah. how intimate you talking? <laughs> I mean, I did something the other day and this is thing is like after shows, I put my mask on and I've mm-hmm. noticed that like, I don't get so many people coming to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I did one in the other day. And I like literally after I got off the stage, I just like, it wasn't in my back pocket. Like it was supposed to be. And I had some shirts to sell. I'm like, I mean, I sold out of shirts and everyone was like really nice and on me, but I also felt like, oh my God, people are all on me. Yeah. Like afterwards, I just felt really anxious. And this lady kissed me on the cheek oh and I really God. wish she hadn't done that. I oh, mean, no, don't do I, that like pre-COVID. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, it, and she was so funny because she goes, oh, do you hug? And I was like, I didn't really have a choice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> As so, they're already 
wrapping their arms in embrace around you. Yes, and I get it because comedy, again, feels so intimate and it's like, I've shared so much with you and you want to share back with me, but like Mm -hmm. I shared jokes, please don't share germs. Yeah. So it feels, I mean, here's the thing. I, at this point in time, I hold it against no one if they're not going to shows. If you have if you have a compromised immune system, if you have loved ones who do, if you have children that are too young to be vaccinated, if you're like, I don't do shows um, within 14 days of when I'm going to spend time with my parents. Right. It's like a choice that I've made. Yeah. And um, it's hard with scheduling mm-hmm. and everything because I have more reach in Texas, but I just don't want to be all up under my 70 year old father after being in a club. And yeah, I just, it's hard. It, the emotional toll this has taken has been really hard. I'm, I'm I hope okay. your listeners aren't like, damn, bitch, be funny. But like, <laughs> but like are we getting real this week? <laughs> and you know what I hate is I actually really like Zoom shows. I did not yeah. hate Zoom shows. And I think so many of my peers went into them with a bad attitude and just really gave them nothing that right. organizations and schools don't want to spend the money on them anymore. Yeah. And what could have been a good opportunity. It just and it's 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 so funny because a lot of the people I know for a fact who just fuck around didn't care about the Zoom shows were making so much money in stand-up that they were gonna make it back the second the door is open. Exactly. But people like me, I don't know. Yeah. It's complicated. Did you host Zoom shows or I did. Um, I was, I did host one that I self-produced. I called it robe hour. And the thing was, I was like, where I want everyone to wear your best pajamas. You know, the vibe is pajamas. Uh, and it was like a pajama party and it was fun. Um, the turnout wasn't amazing. Like sometimes (laughs) there's been a lot of shows where the comics to audience member ratio is one in one. <laughs> like there's a com- when we say there's a comic for you, we mean yeah. it literally. <laughs> um, I did a lot of them, and I I'm I'm still doing a couple from time to time as they pop up. I think it's yeah. a, it's a great skill to keep sharp, and I do think we should keep doing hybrid integrated shows because right. that's the, that is that is one good thing that the pandemic brought me was more of an awareness of how disabled Americans have to live, mm-hmm. and. I did, I just, I really did not, I was, I was ignorant. I was ignorant and I was privileged and I didn't realize how many spaces are not, like if you're a person, like, you know, if you have to use walking assistance, like a wheelchair or walkers, you need to know for a fact, there's going to be a ramp that so you can even get in the building. Right. And there's so many things to factor in and think about. And then like the idea that like, if you're bedridden, you still deserve to laugh. To and laugh. Yeah. Everything. So right. I like the hybrid shows a lot. I like the idea of the, the live streaming while it's happening. I think it's cool. Yeah, it's like a forced thing that you didn't think was going to be good, but actually turned out to be significant. Because yes. you moved to L.A., you said, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why did you choose L.A. specifically? So what? for me, uh, the decision was between L.A. or New York. I mm-hmm. had been doing comedy in Austin for four years and I did comedy in Dallas for three and a half before that. So I I was always about moving and moving forward. And I had people when I was in Dallas who told me, Austin, oh, that's a lateral move. Why would you move to Austin? And yeah. I was like, because I can drive back to Dallas to do these shows. Y'all already know me well enough to let me feature. So I like yeah. to me, I'm like, when you hit like regular feature status, you have accomplished what you're going to accomplish in that city. And now move on. Because very few towns embrace a headliner in a regular function in a way where they can actually make enough money to live. And that headliner who is like that is usually not a Black woman. So 
I am going to establish myself as a feature in your scene and then keep it moving, stick it in yeah. moving. You know what I mean? So that's what I did. And I accomplished that. And I felt like I was in that position where in, in Austin, and it's been true every time I've come back, I haven't had any trouble getting stage time. People respect me. They know I'm funny, but um, also, I mean, and it is a funny thing though, is I left literally as the Joe Rogan pilgrimage was coming in. I didn't know it was happening, but like September, 2020, I show up in in LA. And then like, by the middle of September, 2020, the podcast had moved there. A lot of, a lot of millionaires who want to pay less in taxes moved to Austin and they're doing their thing. They're like running their shows the way they want to run it, bringing their friends in. It's actually kind of creating, um, what may feel like more opportunity in Austin. Yeah. But um, I was, I think there was already great opportunities because like big names would just pass through all the time. So you're meeting people, but nothing's getting made there. See, right. Texas got rid of their film incentives back in like 2016. Okay. So no movies or TV are getting married there yet. And that might change soon. I don't know, but I know everything gets made in LA right now. And For I sure. know that to get to the next point in my career where I have, name recognition i need to be in films yeah when people say like oh man tiffany haddish blew up after girls trip she'd been doing comedy for 15 years at that point yep she had been on deaf comedy jam yeah she i think had already put out um an album at that point but we didn't know her right and it's the recognition it was how funny she was in that movie girls trip which she curated like you need to be in something so tv or film you need to do it and it was either gonna be new york or la where the most of it's happening and um Oh, uh, I don't really fuck with public transit and cold weather like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it is. And that's the funny thing is you will see like a car. lot of. Give me traffic. <laughs> yes. If you are, fr- like, you'll, you'll notice like a lot of times we, we try to intellectualize it. You know, people will be like, New York is where you go to get good. LA is where you go to get famous, you know, blah, 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 blah all that stuff. But when it comes to it, you notice your Chicago comic goes to New York because they're right. used to cold. They're used to a bus. Yep. And your Texas comic goes to LA because they're used to traffic, you know, yep. and we just, we just get used to, you You know what I mean? It was just like, and that's the funny thing too, is sometimes I find myself not loving LA because I'm like, man, everything they have here, we have in Texas, but cheaper. Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> but I have learned to appreciate the, uh, the consistent weather the, yeah. the, the full lean. I'm not really an outdoorsy girl though. I'm not an outdoorsy okay. girl at all. Like, Is I'm your so, husband? No. And I'm no. just so fucking grateful that I'm oh not out God. here trying to date. Can you imagine if people are yeah. trying to take me hiking? It's rough. <laughs> it's no. I mean, my wife's white. I'm in an interracial relationship as well. And I've done the, she's, she's big into outdoors. She's from yeah, Wisconsin. So they love the damn outdoors. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, you found I, you found one that doesn't. <laughs> you know, he's. I don't know. He doesn't seem to love it. For all I know, he might just be like placating himself. What if? What's he's he doing just, now? I don't know. He's probably <laughs> sneaking around hiking with white women. <laughs> she ain't gonna find us out here. <laughs> I won't though. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. if, if my husband disappeared to the woods, he'd just be gone. Like, just, <laughs> yeah, we're not sending the search party after him. That's really hilarious. Not. That's so funny. Do you get like? Uh, do you get? Probably not in LA as much, but 
do you get the you're in an interracial relationship looks or comments not at all in LA um it's 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 super common although we live like kind of an area like near Glendale sometimes when we go to Glendale I it's more I realize they're just looking at me because yeah. it's so white over there. Yeah. So like they this happens, especially like, so they're just not used to seeing a black person. They're just kind of like, oh, oh, oh. Like, and sure. then I'll get someone and then this happens a lot with them. was like, were you here the other day? And I'm like, oh, no, I was not. Was so, um, it, oh, uh, you so. can see it coming a mile away. Yeah, they're trying to figure out if I'm their coworker. If I'm, if I, if I'm, right. there, there's like some other black girl running around Glendale from time to time because I like I like shopping in Glendale. It's like cute. Yeah, uh, who's running around there and they think I'm her. So that's that. Um, I think we got a lot more looks and perception in Texas than we did we do here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of the time people aren't really bold enough to say nothing. Yeah. Uh, we could. Yeah, they're just they're never really that bold. I joke about it in my stand up so i feel like it emboldens people after the show yes. to come up like oh we know you so we can say this ridiculous thing to your face it's like yeah you don't, you don't know me that's it is it is a very strange I, one thing i don't like is like the perception that because i have a white partner now that i only am attracted to white men yeah. or that i have a problem with black men and yeah. i've had black men be like oh so you don't like black men or you don't like and i'm like no i no. mean this is the one who was around yeah. who like, but like, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I found someone at the time that I was looking and it worked out and yes. I'm happy. And I do, I mean, I, there are some black people who will straight up say they don't date their own race. And I think that's disgusting. I hate hearing that. I, I hate being around. It's not like, I, God, that is one of my biggest fears is if like after a show, someone was like, white men forever, up top. I, like, you know I, mean? I would feel like I really failed as a comic. If I, <laughs> I am very scared that people are getting the wrong idea that I like, I do, like, you know, like just, you know um, what I mean? I don't, I don't know so though. I, I You're invited to the January 6th cookout next year. Uh, no, I don't want to eat three different types of Jello salad. I do not want to be <laughs> at the insurrection. Reunion. Oh my god, this one's in a mold. <laughs> How's oh. the? Uh, how long have you been married? I've been married uh, three years. Three wait, years. I, lied. I totally lied. I've been married. Wait, no, wait, shit. Ooh. January two thousand nineteen. Yeah. And it's so yeah. three years. Yeah, three yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Three years in a month. So yeah. that works. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, I, How's the managing the, you know, the whole process? It's wonderful for me because yeah. my partner is, he's very smart. He's very supportive. We met doing comedy. And oh, really? Just, yeah, he just realized that stand-up was not what he wanted to do. He realized that really what he wanted to do yeah, was smart. is express himself through writing. And I'm so proud of him because that's what he does. He um, he does copywriting for a living, but then he also does um, like he has his own like writing projects, and some of it's gotten published. And he's he's written like some of the most bitingly hilarious stuff you'll ever read. He used to write for this um, this website called Central Track in Dallas, and he would write the asshats of the year, which is like a breakdown of the worst people of Dallas. Yeah. So he's just he's super smart. So he's so fun to be around and it's great to have someone to bounce ideas off. Now, I mean, one downside is like people make the assumption that he writes my jokes for me. Like okay. literally like just, they 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 have this, man, I, I think it's, 
I think it's because I'm such a bad bitch that I can't possibly. <laughs> but they're like, she's so pretty. She can't possibly also be this funny. Yeah. So it's got to be the white guy feeding her jokes, you know? Right. And that's just so insulting because so many things, like, you know, you really think he wrote a better joke about my bulimia? You really think he wrote a better joke about my, me seeing an uncircumcised dick for the first time? Like, it's yeah. my light. It's my right. voice about my mom, about my dad. Like, you just, you know what I mean? It's very insulting. It's so nonsensical. For sure. Yes. And a lot of people are very, they're very confused about our schedules because to them, they can't imagine being away from their partner for weeks at a time. But um, we just, we make it work. Now, I will say though, this is what makes it hard about living in LA is because I make most of my money on the road. When I'm home, I would much rather just be like completely up under him than uh, waiting five hours to do a bucket mic yeah, for sure. I might not get up. So I'm kind of I'm kind of bad about only doing shows I'm booked on or right. going to shows my friends are on. And I know I need to be more like in the hustle and the function of it all. And I just I like I like going where I'm well. If I feel a little unwelcome, I'm out. I'm out. And I'm done. Yes. In <laughs> LA, at first I was like, man, these people are are rude as shit and they're not welcome. But then I started, I started to understand how bad new comics in LA are. Right. Because I, I like I treated L.A. like my grad program. I was like I did I did three years at, I love that. at, at Dallas. I did four years at Austin. I am ready for my master's in comedy in I L.A. And in, but here's the thing is any motherfucker can move to L.A. at any point of their career. At any like you can yep. be a weekend and decide you want to go on stage and read somebody else. I watched someone do this. They would just read books. They just wanted to hear themselves talk. Oh anybody can waste anybody's time up there. And then to keep everything fair, we're doing these awful bucket mics. And it's, it's I mean, it's depressing. It's yeah. honestly all about just getting through it. So yeah. um, it's just, it, it's been hard lately to make myself. And then, you know, with COVID numbers going up, I'm like, do I want to risk COVID? I- <laughs> risk watching this or do i want to hang out with my man and like cook for him and, and watch search party you know i just yeah it's oh, the second thing yes it's and the so second thing yeah i do i do find myself because i have so little time not so little time but not that much time with him being really up under him but i will i'm gonna lie uh when covid had us locked in the house i, I was like i gotta get out yeah I will, no I will it's take- like please put on the goddamn masks please oh yeah oh yeah i was um as soon as they said you can do what you want, but you can, you, you just have to wear a mask. I was like, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about me. I, I will wear three masks to get out this house. I am out. He's, he's got a trip in the woods planned. A trip. There better not be no woods or no white woman. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, getting back on the road. I had lost my like road stamina because I used to be on the road all the time. And that like forced, you know, 16 months or whatever it was where every show got canceled i was like man i, I like being at home i like cooking yes. like finding little projects and did you uh, find did you have a moment at first where you realized like your home wasn't livable yet and then you started like changing it and then you like really fuck with your home now is that did you go through oh, that jasmine we finished the basement yes, we had a completely bare basement i'm gonna show you and now it's like I, that's where i am now and it's like we got a oh bathroom God, living room. this looks great right this is that looks see and for us we had a patio with nothing on it and then i was like 
okay. And then I turned it into like a meditation space for myself. Oh, I love and that. So, and then it's like, but it makes it harder for you to go out. Like I started to like my house. And I will say now that I'm in LA and our house, our apartment's much smaller. Yeah. I don't feel as much of that. Like, Ooh, I love being in my house. You know, the walls are <laughs> right. thin. I can hear these fucking kids that I yep. like, you know, uh, I, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's rough. I lived in New York for a few years and I much prefer having a backyard it's kind of the it's like the mental sanity I don't know how one I don't know how comics would start in New York or LA and two Mm -hmm. I don't know why they would start in a pandemic but it's happened sometimes there are a lot of people who started in the pandemic which is crazy to me like like, why is this the thing the comics who started on zoom I'm just like girl what but I think for a lot of them, they never even had an opportunity. There are some people who are just absolutely terrified of being on stage. And so, you know, that helped them get around it. But I mean, what works in an online comedy forum does not necessarily work on stage. Right. Your pacing has to be different. I mean, vice versa. To help yeah. myself do longer sets on Zoom, I actually watched YouTube videos to kind of get a feel for the ones that were watchable. Right. I, knew, I knew it was unwatchable, but yeah. I was like, what makes me pay attention to someone? And you know, they have a lot of, they do, it's kind of funny though, because they do cuts where laughs exist. Exactly. Yes. And we exactly. can't do that in a live streaming format. So it's <laughs> no. like, I see you, you know, you're, <laughs> you're adding a graphic where the, it creates the rhythm and the, you know. Yeah. Uh, you gotta be video editing. Yeah. I did, I did want to talk to you about this because I thought it was really interesting. I listened to a couple episodes of your podcast rhythm and bay which is on hiatus right now i'm working on it i got this laptop breaks down every time i try to upload a file that's bigger than two minutes long on it (laughs) ain't good ain't good for it's not good so um i'm fundraising for a new laptop right now to bring back rhythm and bay (laughs) hell yeah i will uh link to anything that will help it because oh i literally just said this like bullshitting but maybe i really should have just have a gofundme and say i need a new laptop hell yeah (laughs) What sparked you to start Rhythm and Bay? So I love talking about music. I used to be a DJ. I got my start as a radio DJ on, not a DJ, like in the club, like mixing stuff, but I was a on-air personality at a radio station when I was in college. And I absolutely just adore talking about music, but I like talking about the impact music has on us psychologically, what it reminds us, what it makes us feel like, you know, I also, to be honest, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. I'm envious of musicians because I have to keep writing. I have to keep writing material. I have to change and grow and even change my style as things change. If you, if you write a song that people fucking love, you can, you can sing it for 50 royalties. Yep. Royalties. You know what I mean? And I'm jealous of musicians because of that. And I, it's funny because most, I think most comedians, if they could have been musicians, they would have been musicians. There is a saying that most musicians want to be comedians and most comedians know they want to be musicians. That is funny because I've noticed lately, I've been seeing like uh, stand like clips of musicians and they're just trying to do these like little jokes in between songs. <laughs> and it's like, you know how great it is when I tell a joke and it doesn't land, you know what I have to do? tell another joke exactly when a comedian tells a joke that isn't yeah. funny they can sing a song and everybody loves a fucking song you know so I, I'm, off. Yeah. I'm jealous I, I i do have like a secret aspiration to release a comedy album uh that's music like a musical oh. comedy album but i i'm like an okay singer but i'm not like a singer singer but yeah. then again it's funny because i'd be on tiktok and i'm like girl you pitchy you know like, I, like, you know what i mean i'm starting to see that the bar is lower for singers and rappers sometimes for sure. like it's gotten lower so i'm like 
like, I mean, with the right beat and production. You ain't got to be Janet. You ain't got to be, you know. So are you in the, are you mostly in the R&B? Is that why you went with that? Yes, uh, I love R&B. I am. I love R&B. It's my favorite category of music. Although it does, it does get applied as like this broad blanket of like Mm -hmm. Black people ringing. It's like anytime Black people are singing, not rapping, it's called R&B. Yeah. And a lot of times it's pop. So I do. I also love pop music. I'm a big uh, pop and R&B, I think are my favorites. I like I like hip hop, but hip hop heads very much intimidate me like sneaker heads. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you don't know everything, everyone's set. And also like rap is. Uh, I just. Most of my favorite rappers are the girls and yeah. people act like that means I'm not a real rap fan. And I'm just like, okay, but I'm a barb. So I don't yeah. want <laughs> to argue with people. Right? You know, I just want to. <laughs> can rap along to Nikki. Come on now. But I don't Men are so funny. Y'all are so, y'all, de- men deprive themselves of so much in an effort to not look gay. Like, it's, it's just so like. so funny. You want to so pull up in it's the. so true. Pull up in the Tonka color or Willy Wonka. Like you yeah. want to. This shit, <laughs> like that bar goes hard, but you can't let so. yourself. And it's just like. I'm sorry, when, when, when Megan is going off, like just admit this shit pops. Like, right. it's, it's, I, I, I genuinely feel sadness for men because the, the that, prison of heterosexuality really makes it so <laughs> Just let us deny ourselves into an early grave. And Masculinity is a jail. It's oh. a jail. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a little different. My dad was a DJ, like an actual like club DJ before he really? got Really? Like our basement is all just records. And he also had like cassette tapes and I would sneak in and like get his cassette tapes. But I always went for like Jodeci or like Genuine. Uh, it's like 11, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I just love the rhythm of it. Just 11, listen to Genuine Pony and then turn it over to the B side for the extended version. <laughs> you know what you just made me think of? Did you risk? So you went to a pretty white high school, right? Yep. I went to a pretty mixed high school that was pretty segregated. And we had a step team that was really good. Oh. But every year for Valentine's Day, they would do their like Valentine's red light special. And one year, I remember the guys, they were like sitting backwards in a chair and like grinding to oh. tell me what you want. <laughs> it was just like, and I'm thinking about like, if I were a grown ass woman, if I were like a 40 year old woman, and a bunch of sixteen-year-old boys were oh just <laughs> giant. Oh. I would have pulled out a hose. They would have yeah. called it a civil rights issue. I would have <laughs> hosed down these okay. little black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got your whole future ahead of you, boys. Come on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the kids, these horny teenagers. It was oh. so fucking weird. It's <laughs> it was crazy. So- Years before I even knew the what the concept of sex was. <laughs> it's just uh it's awful. It's awful. But I appreciate you doing this. Uh where can people find you, Jasmine? Yes, you can find me on all the things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. Now don't forget Jasmine is spelled with an E, so that's J-A-S-M-I-N-E. 
E-L-L-I-S. Don't forget those two E's go back and back. So Jasmine Ellis Comedy, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok is really where I'm the most active these days because I just love it. Um, I uh, sometimes post on YouTube, but really just longer format stuff. And as far as my podcast, Rhythm and Bay, we're on hiatus right now, but there's some, there's a great collection of older episodes. I've had really cool guests like Roy Woods Jr., um, Roxy Hayes, uh, and then we had Sex Podcast. We did kind of a crossover episode. Um, shout out to them for making me remember Drew Hill. Um, yes. So just, it's, it's a lot of fun. Rhythm and Bay is just all about funny and interesting people talking about the music that tells their life story. And it's also an, an educational podcast because we talk a lot about music history, murder in particular, this last oh, season was yeah. a lot of fun. So check it out, Rhythm and Bay, B-A-E, The Term of Endearment. And you can find me on all the things at Jasmine Ellis Comedy. Oh, and check out my album, Trash Baby, streaming everywhere. And also you can check out um, a special, Nobody's Queen, and it's available on Amazon Prime right now. Thank you so much for listening to Blowing Up. Go check out Jasmine's comedy everywhere. Listen to her albums. Watch her special. You'll love it. If you want to support the show, support the Patreon. It's in the show notes or patreon.com slash Dwight Simmons. Peace, love, and hugs. Have a great week, everybody.